you just tuned into the hippest way to start and grow your indie author career, learn the ins, the outs, and all the all-arounds of self-publishing with the team from D2D and their industry-influencing guests. You're listening to Self-Publishing Insiders with Draft2Digital. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Insiders with draft to digital I am Mark Leslie Lefebvre and I'm with draft to digital And you know who else is with draft to digital today? Oh, my good friend Wolf Moon. Wolf, welcome to the virtual studios today. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me, Mark. Oh, uh, I love your green room that you have. Uh, <laughs> although I'm not a fan of liver pate, so if you could get that off the charcuterie plate. Yeah, I'm sorry. Say. I didn't see that in the clause in your contract before I invited you to the virtual green room. Yeah. Sorry about well, that. Well, you know us divas, we like like things special, you know. Some some smoked almonds would be nice, too. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so uh, I want to welcome you, Wolf, uh, to the virtual studio. Thanks for not tearing up the green room the way the last guests messed it all up. But I uh, want to thank everyone for watching live. If you've got questions for Wolf, who does help writers create a howling good story. Uh, if you have questions for Wolf, you can drop them in the comments over on Facebook or on YouTube. But I wanted to first dig into some of the background. So Wolf, how do you, how do you write a howling good, good story? Or, or better yet, let's, let's go back to the origin of, of Wolf Moon and, and, and your helping of writers. Where did that all begin for you? All right. Well, it began, actually, my real career began when I was 15 years old. I wrote a science fiction story and sent it into Scholastic Art and Writing Awards, which is the biggest contest for high school students in the country. It's nationwide. Right. And, and I won. And not only did I win, but they published my story in Science World, 500,000. Was that the first, can I, can I just hold you back? Was that the very first contest you ever entered? Or was that just like you'd been doing it for years? No, I, I'd won other contests, but that was the big one that started. Oh my God. You know, I, okay. I, I probably right. won 30 or 40 contests in high school, um, both national and statewide and wow. uh, regional. So, um, and had won so many that a private college actually wrote a scholarship to recruit me. Um, so that was really nice. I had room, board, everything covered, uh, wow. which was a good thing to happen for a kid in a foster home. <laughs> so, uh, oh. Life life was rough. I had a really good teacher, though, that took care of me and and actually made a class just for me to write my stories in. He had to go to the principal to have that done. And uh, and so I learned right away what it was like to actually have somebody believe in you because my father didn't. He didn't want me to be a writer if I had to run away from home because right. of this home situation. But uh, this teacher saw my potential went to the principal and said, I want to make a class every one hour every day that Wolf Moon comes to and he writes his stories in it and I'll help him find contests to send them to him. So that really helped me. And uh, when I started winning all these contests, it told me, okay, I am a writer and I can do this. So that wow. contest I told you about, Stephen King won that when he was a kid. Oh, Stephen who? who? Who's this guy? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, and many people say because they won those contests at a young age, um, it actually told them they could do it. And that's why they were able to do it. Belief determines reality. And so if you believe yeah. at a young age, you can do something, then you just head right out with that power. So seeing your name in print, seeing you in a, in a huge publication, mine went out to every high school in America, it does something to your psyche. So that's why I really encourage my writers to work on that, to, to get those nice sales because it's going to build your career. So fast forward, um, I won the Star Trek Strange New Worlds contest, 
And uh, so I'm in the Star Trek canon and in Star Trek Strange New Worlds too. Dean Wesley Smith became my mentor, which was really nice. And then later on, I won Writers of the Future. That was the big one I was always going for because my friends, Dean Wesley Smith, Chris Rush, Nina Kariki Hoffman, they'd all won this contest and I saw it launch their careers. So I figured if I could focus on this and I, I won it, it would, it would lift my career. I also targeted Superstars writing seminars because I knew that was one of the highest writing uh, seminars you could go to that was actually focused on professional writing, not just fan things, which is, which is great. But as a writer, you want to be a professional writer to get read. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So I won the Superstar Scholarship as well. That's where I met you, uh, which was really cool. So we developed our friendship just because I tried. I didn't have any money at the time. I had 50 bucks to my name. My wife said, why are you doing this? We, you, even if you win the scholarship, you have no money to get there. And I said, one step at a time. And uh, <laughs> right at that same time, I had four great things happen. I won Writers of the Future in two weeks. I won Writers of the Future um, and they send you a check at second place. So I got $750 right within a couple of weeks. Right. And uh, then I get professional um, print rate too later on when it's published. And then uh, I won the Superstar Scholarship. So that was great. Uh, but that winning Writers of the Future gave me a check to buy my airfare. So so wow. it all started falling into place. And then uh, I got a job at a professional magazine in that same two weeks uh, with Future Science Fiction Digest. I became their podcast director. And right. I also had a story published in another publication. All right. So I won Writers of the Future. So everybody says, all right, I won. Now I'm going to go launch my career. And I was in the Writers of the Future forum in the trenches with all these other writers trying to win it. And I thought, you know, I can take off now, wave goodbye, and go launch my career because that was my whole objective of trying to win that was to get that exposure you need. And I thought, well, you know, I know stuff now. And I could actually help other people win this because I had struggled for so many years trying to figure out what was wrong, what, what did I need to do to suddenly rise to the top like cream. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to help people. And I thought it was just going to be for a year. And then I'd take off writing my novels. And I created a topic called, in the Writers of the Future Forum, Wolf Moon Super Secrets Workshop and Challenge. And I told anybody that wanted to join my workshop, come join. I opened it up for a month so we get all of our members. And for a year, you're going to work with me and I'm going to work with you. And then I did free edits for everybody. I wrote down what were called the Super Secrets Tips. And lo and behold, in that first year, we had three finalists. And these are all unpublished writers. Okay. And right on the cusp of the turn to the second year, um, we had our first winner. And then it just kept happening. In the last five years since I did this workshop, uh, we had, we've had we had a dozen people that I've worked with become winners of Writers of the Future, published finalists, which is the same thing as a winner. Okay, and it we, all began, yeah. Well, I want to keep, keep going because this is fascinating. But for anyone who's listening who's not familiar with the Writers of the Future contest, can you just give a high-level overview of what this is? Because you mentioned... Uh, I think one of the one of the requirements is you can't have had a professional sale as an author before, right? So it's for emerging writers. It's for emerging writers. You can't have had more than three uh, oh, professional sales. Three pro so, sales. Okay. Yeah. So so it it levels the playing field a little. There's still very good writers at the top because they've had maybe a, a few pro sales already. But I mean, people win sometimes first time they enter a story because you're not competing against Nancy Cress and 
uh, Dean Wesley Smith, Chris Rush, all those names. You're not competing against those people. You're, com you're competing against people that are more at your level, but still you have to write a breakout brilliant story to rise to the top of thousands of entries every quarter. And it's all around the world. And winning this is like winning the Oscars in science fiction fantasy. There's nothing bigger. Right. Um, it, it really, it's, it's a beautiful event. They give you a week-long workshop with the top people in his industry. They put you up at Hollywood for a week in a nice hotel and uh, do this gala that's just out of this world. So, um, so this is why I focus on that with my writers. And I was in there anyway, um, trying to help people. And so yeah. more and more people... Because of that exposure, it had 800, it's got 860,000 views today, but just kept growing and growing. Wow. And suddenly people from the internet would do a search on how to write a story. And they would come to me and say, I'd ask where they found me. They said, well, I did this search. And one was, one was a, a famous um, producer of a Star Trek series. I won't say her name, but uh, she was looking on how to write short stories because she's written scripts all of her life. And right. uh, and I asked her about it. And she said, well, I read this. She said, and you know, the things we actually got together when I was in Hollywood for, for breakfast. And uh, I asked her about how she found me, why why she was actually sitting with me. I mean, she's, she, she's in a very famous Star Trek series, if I told you. And she said, you know, Wolf Moon, we do these things that you're talking about in your super secrets, but we have no names for them. We call it this or that, but we have no way to really talk about what these concepts, these principles are. And she said, your book's going to not just help a lot of writers. She said, it's going to help a lot of screenwriters. And uh, that really stuck with me because she's already made it in the field. But uh, that just really told me, well, this is going to hit across a wide base of writers because uh, this actually defines things that we kind of think about or might be in our unconscious mind. But when you know a thing you can control a thing and you can make it work for you and so that's what the super secrets are all about and why i wrote how to write a holland good story and then i gathered a wolf pack which i now have whoops i now have a patreon uh wolf moon and so i have a group now that's that's all gathered together working together on pro being professionally published winning contests and the results have been phenomenal Wow. Well, thank you for the background. I really appreciate that. That just helps uh, help people understand. So, I am holding in the in in the, my hands a hot little copy of How to Write a Howling Good Story, uh, Wolf Moon's Super Secrets, which just uh, just came out recently. Uh, it's it's almost still warm from when it came off the press <laughs> not that many weeks ago. Um, but you're here to share some of the tips for writers on how to write a howling good story, and and I think one of the one of the ones. Um, one of the ones that one of the chapters in the book, uh, you talk about something that's called a, a chef's mindset. Can we can we uh, can we walk into the kitchen now and you can explain that one? Well, good. Um, actually, it's been a while since I've been in a professional kitchen, but I used to be a cook and was trained by a really good cook. Um, he, he was a chef, even though everyone called him a cook. And the one thing you appreciate about the chef mindset is that they are cooking not to make money. They're cooking because they love creating food that edifies others and sustains them. And they'll walk out from the line and come, come look out on a diner. And when they see them take that first bite and that smile that appears on their face, that's what many of those chefs live for. And uh, that's the chef mindset when we write too. 
when we write, yeah, it's great to win contests. It's great to be a best-selling book. You like seeing your name up in the ranks because that means one thing, not fame. It means people are actually getting your book and they're reading it. And that's what we're here for is to touch hearts or to save hearts. I mean, people say, and I've heard many big writers say this, that the people come up and say, you don't know this, but your book saved my life. And we can have, as people in this world, sometimes really crappy situations that just tear us down and we're one brink from stepping off the edge and ending it all. And that can happen. But with good writing, it can take you away from your problems. Uh, sometimes it can even delve into problems that you can't muddle through yourself, but seeing it in a, another char character vicariously, you can help get a better understanding of how to cope with your own problems. And so writing actually is an essential thing. It's nourishing our souls, just like that chef is nourishing his patrons at his establishment. And the cool thing, when you put your own flair into that, and you are actually, your soul is going into your cooking, just like your soul is going into your writing, you're going to attract a crowd that will follow you anywhere you go. They will follow you anywhere. And you see these chefs, they'll open up another restaurant somewhere else. People will go flock to it because they've gathered people that love what that chef is doing. And so the same thing with writers. So when you, when you are writing, figure out who you are. That's really important. And get it on the page. And you'll collect people that are like you. And they'll be so loyal to you, they will follow you anywhere that you want to go, anywhere that you, you take your writing. Um, but it's always good to remember one more thing in the chef mindset. Um, this one Italian uh, chef, his dad owned a restaurant, and he said, Dad, I'm breaking away. I'm going off to Europe and training. I want to learn new things. And his dad said, okay, but I know what you're going to do when you come back. So he went and studied in Europe, went to all the chef schools, learned all these fancy new dishes. He came back, and he started running the family restaurant. And his dad always said that chicken parm pays the bills. Don't ever forget that. Chicken parm pays the bills. And sure <laughs> enough, he said, I, I made all these fancy creations. But he said, there's one thing that's number one on our menu. It's our chicken parmesan. And so, so I encourage our listeners to think about that. What are your fans telling you that they want to see? And right. if you want to have a really successful career, make sure you take care of them. You know, Do your fun, crazy, out-of-this-world stuff. But don't forget who got you there and remember yeah. them by taking care of them with what you write. Oh, that is fantastic. So I have, as you've been talking, I've been popping up some great comments from uh, folks who love the analogy. They're quoting from you. Uh, you know, books are uh, uh, soul food uh, from Jim, who's also a, a, a host, host of the show. And uh, I know Jim. Jim. Jim on that one. <laughs> um, and then uh, so I'm going to start popping up some questions uh, with that. And of course, uh, Guillaume says totally agree uh, with what Jim said as well. Alyssa has a question here as well. And and and, and it's kind of uh, related, I guess, maybe to even writers of the future, because there is a particular genre for writers of the future. But Alyssa asks, do you help authors write in a certain genre or all genres? All genres. Uh, my Wolfpack writers know that. Uh, we we do love speculative fiction because it's really expansive. It, uh, yeah. You can go anywhere with it, whether it's science fiction, you have to, of course, follow science logic, but uh, fantasy too. But I've won awards in literary, uh, some, of, some of the biggest uh, contests in that in the world. Uh, okay. I won 
a romance writers contest with Nora Roberts. I wrote the conclusion to her novella Riley Slade's Return. Um, so, so I I believe all writing is wonderful. Uh, memoir, you know, all of it. So, and and the more diverse we are, I think the more we expand our abilities. So that's how I actually won Writers of the Future. I just threw them curveballs. I, I don't normally write horror. I wrote horror. I wrote uh, YA. I wrote science fiction. I wrote fantasy. I wrote urban fantasy. You know, I just kept throwing things at them. And what I found is it really stretched my imagination trying to write outside of my comfort zone. Right. And that's what helped me win contests because people never knew what to expect. Um, but those stories, I sold, I've sold. i sold most of them after that because... Um, there's so many different markets you can go into with them. So to answer right. her question, uh, I believe in all writing. I think it's all good. And I try to help you write stories that work. And that's what the yeah. super secrets are all about. The fundamentals that will help you make a working story that will rise to the top. Right. And until you figure that out, it'll be a good story, but it probably won't be the cream that gets to the very top that gets bought. No, that is fantastic. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, you may use examples uh, from science fiction, fantasy, from speculative fiction as well, uh, especially with a lot of the writers that you've worked with who are writing in that regard. But yeah, a good story is a good story. Good characters, all of those things. Um, so that sort of uh, that leads to this question um, uh, from Janessa, who says, how would you then suggest finding inspiration for writing outside your comfort zone? So let's say you're only writing in romance and you're thinking you might want to write a mystery or literary or you know fantasy or something like that how how do you how do you find inspiration for kind of moving outside of that zone yeah uh well so if you write romance there's a huge growing category called romanticy so start reading some fantasy books and mash them together so don't just read romance read in the fantasy genre and see how they're doing it and you've already been grounded in romance. So now you understand kind of the tropes, the things that uh, fantasy readers are looking for and yeah. make sure that you can weave that into your work. So there's one example, but wide reading will help. Don't just read in your genre. You have to read in your genre because you need to know what's out there and what people are buying. Um, it, you know, it's just like there's the chicken parm. So yeah, you want to yeah. know where's the chicken parm at, but you don't want to copy that. You want to do your own flair to it. So, and that's where writing outside your comfort comfort zone actually gets you that flair and wide reading in anything. So read, read, read in wide reading. Um, I watch a lot of news programs with personal, you know, feature stories about people because our stories really are about people. And when we see real life struggles that they've dealt with and overcome and they've risen to the top so far that they were noticed and got on these television shows. You can find a lot of great things there uh, writing about people that you wouldn't normally write about. Yeah. And, and, and I have to say this because, you know, Smashwords store and we have a lot of draft digital authors and Smashwords authors in the Smashwords store end of year sale. And we will have a link to uh, where people can find your book in the Smashwords store. But we are at the end of your sale. So there are books that are 25% off, 50% off, 75% off ebooks, and even uh, free books. Uh, there, there, there's tens of thousands of great books. So if you're looking to read outside and, and try different genres, this is a great time of year to stock up on those ebooks, including, including how to write a hell and good story. So um, I, this, this question came up from Eric. I'm going to start to answer it, but I want to, I'll ask you the sort of second half. Eric says, this is a great interview. Thank you so much, Eric. 
I'm looking forward to hearing more about how draft to digital has helped you get your recent how to write a howling good story out uh, and then what pitfalls along the way. So uh, complete transparency here, Eric, is uh, I published the book through my draft to digital, my personal writer draft to digital account. Uh, I have a, a publishing imprint called Stark Publishing and Stark Publishing Solutions, with, which are books for writers. And when I saw what Wolf was doing, uh, I wanted to help uh, get this book out into the world. Uh, so I offered to publish it and I took advantage of the great feature that Drafted Digital has called payment splitting. I'm in Canada, Wolf is in the US. What happens is I publish the book through Drafted Digital and uh, Wolf is attached to that as a contributor. And, and it gets split automatically by draft to digital draft to digital will pay him for all the sales as they come in uh, on that monthly 40, you know, 45 days after the end of the period, all the different vendors pay at different times, of course. Uh, but I get my payment, Wolf gets his payment, and then we get tax receipts directly from draft to digital. So unlike traditional publishers, uh, I don't have to issue him a, you know, an annual statement, here are your books, and I'm going to hang on to all the money, and then I'm going to pay you once a year. Uh, so that's sort of the logistics of it. But but Wolf, what were your what were some of your struggles? Because you did you did a lot of the work uh, that a publisher would normally do before I took over the logistics of the actual getting the book out. Right? You had to you had to have an editor. You had to get the covers designed, all that stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah, I did all of that. Um, I think the most important thing I did is I sought a mentor. And I already had seen you speak several times at Superstars, so I knew the caliber of what you represented. I knew you were well-liked by everyone, and I also knew respected was important. And so I actually did a consult with you, Mark, and this was the cool thing. I, I actually didn't know what to do with this. I said, I have this idea. I think I could start it as a Kickstarter uh, but here's my problem, Mark. I only have 100 followers. This was three years ago. I have many more now. I only have 100 followers on my newsletter. And I know people have thousands that, that launch books. And Mark told me a really important fact that I've never forgotten. He said, Moon, you can do more with 100 dedicated followers than you can with 1,000 followers that are random. And so I believed him. So it's like, all right, full steam ahead. Let's go forward. So then I went to 20 books to 50K in Vegas, which is uh, the indie writers con. That, that's the seminar you want to go to when you're indie writing. And uh, I listened to Kickstarter classes with Oriana Leckert, and who's the head of their publishing division. And I figured out what I needed to do. So a couple of weeks after I went there, I launched the Kickstarter. My first Kickstarter with the book did $21,000, $21,316, I think. Um, and so actually there's more than 500 books that were just released from that. Uh, Kevin J. Anderson uh, saw my book and invited me to be on his story bundle for writers. Uh, so another 500 10 books went off from that. So there's a thousand right there, plus all of the platforms. So now we come to draft to digital. What they did for me is they didn't put me just on one platform, but I have, I'm on platforms in France and uh, Europe. And uh, of course on Smashwords where all the indie writers are at. Um, and of course, Amazon. So they, they put me across all of them and I didn't have to go try to track all of that. And that's the beauty of draft to digital is that, they take care of that huge thing, which would be a mess if I was having to try to collect from all these places and track it all. So it all comes into one funnel, them. 
And then they take care of all that business side so that I can keep writing and taking care of actually my Wolfpack writers so that they can succeed too. So that's the beautiful thing about draft to digital. Cool. So um, people are noticing this because (laughs) I had a link to the, I had a link to the book. I was going to, I was going to share this later, but people are already commenting on it. If you go to uh, the Smashwords store right now, um, it is normally 50% off. It's regularly $9.99 as an ebook. It's 50% off as part of the end of year sale, but we did something very special. Uh, the first 10 people can get it at 99 cents. And that's a, and that's a marketing thing you can do as an author. This is just a little thing. We actually created a code. Uh, I created it just before the show uh, to get this book for 99 cents uh, using uh, code MJKEE. But what I forgot to do is I forgot to click the private box because I was just going to share it as part of this video. <laughs> but apparently oh. people already, it's it's showing as 99 cents automatically. But but the cool thing is, is we could set that up and it's only going to go to the first 10 people. After the 10th person buys it at 99 cents, it's going to go back up to the you know 50% off price, $4.99. Uh, so that's some marketing uh, uh, tips for you authors who are, are doing stuff as, as part of the sale. So um all right, so cool. Uh, oh my God. So, so other questions that have come up, uh, and, and one of them uh, from Janessa here is, Wolf, I understand that you mentor writers. How does one become one of your mentees or proteges? Okay. Um, well, like I said, originally I did it all online for free. Uh, it was an extension of my helping right. people in the Writers of Future forum. And anybody that wanted to get help I was able to help. Uh, didn't matter who they were, just that you had to commit to being a part of the workshop for a year and and actually writing stories, not editing old stories. You had to write fresh stories. And that's what right. I'm very strong about. You don't learn how to write editing stories. You learn how to edit. Uh, yeah. Write fresh is where you expand your abilities as a writer. So uh, after five years of doing this for free, uh, it started taking up so much of my time. My wife said, you know, it's great you're helping all these writers launch their careers and win all these contests. She said, but you won this contest to launch your career. And uh, she said, you know, you, you have to take care of us too. So I've now set up actually just like two months ago, a Patreon called uh, it's Patreon forward slash Wolf, W-U-L-F, Wolf Moon. And so now you okay. can actually subscribe and become a member of the Wolfpack writers group and i am there daily on discord giving advice to the writers and uh, we have actually critique groups to help one another we have all the latest markets we call them respectable sales sales that will actually help launch your career get you seen and so we're always right. hunting for the latest deadlines patreon.com you got it you got right, cool. it that's awesome. exactly it nice thank you mark so yeah that's how you can become one of my wolfpack writers and i mentor them and we have had so many that were unpublished that became professionally published writers and actually career writers now and launching their careers from, from working together with me. And it's all based on the super secrets in this book. They're just foundation yeah. principles. I don't. Yeah. And I want to get back. I want to get back to some of the other foundations. So, so there's a thing in here. Uh, it's, it's, it, it looks like it, it's called a, a KYD. Now that's not going to the Colonel and get in the uh, special spices on my chicken. Right. What, what is that? What is this? Uh, KYD that you talk about in in this book. Okay. I think you're talking KFC. So uh, we're talking KYD. Uh, Kill your darlings. Uh, the person that made that saying famous, it actually wasn't him, but he requoted it, and everybody knows him, Stephen King. He said, "Kill your darlings, kill your darlings." Um, I forget the rest of the saying, but anyway, it was especially when we're beginning writers. 
we put everything in and the kitchen sink because we think it's necessary and we don't trust our readers. Our readers are smart. They're readers. They're not just playing video games. They're actually reading books. And so <laughs> they can put a lot of things together without you telling them. And writers, the newer we are, the more we think we have to tell them and explain everything. And so we stuff that material with purple prose, but also with massive info dumps, usually at the beginning of our stories, as we say, this king begat that king, and this prince was begotten by this, and this princess came from here, you know, and then there's this long ride up to the castle where we describe everything. And then we finally get up to the castle, and we find the person riding the horse is actually the princess, and it's her home. All right, so, you know, by that time, 15 pages of this, People have closed the book and have moved on and, and newer writers don't understand what's happening. So they keep doing this for years. Kill Your Darlings actually addresses the issue. And it's a chapter in the book that I talk about where, you know, a, a good friend who's no longer with us, uh, Ken Wren, he wrote a book called The 10% Solution. It's a really good book. It was reprinted by another friend of mine. So I encourage people to get that and tell my Wolfpack writers too. But he said, any story can benefit from removing 10% out of it. But what I found the newer the writers are, they didn't need the 10% solution. They needed the 20% solution, the 30% solution, the 40, the 50% solution. I'm not kidding. So almost, so only one writer I found in, in, in all of these hundreds of writers I've helped that, that actually needed to throw more in. Almost everybody overstuffs it and has these long intros where they're driving to the story. So that's what KYD is all about. It's a system that I've developed right. to help writers eliminate all of the fat, trim the fat, get to the lean, mean machine of your story. You can hit the ground running a lot faster and still provide the necessary elements so that people you know, see the story, understand the character, understand the setting where they're at, but you're not belaboring it and boring your reader because the number one rule of writing, and Margaret Atwood said this, is hold my attention. So you don't hold attention by going through a litany of all of the begats of the of your character or all of the science uh, technology and all the study you did that you stuff into the beginning of that novel. So you bore all your readers and they close it. But the right. most important reader, <laughs> if you want to get published, is actually the first readers if you're writing short fiction. Uh, you don't want to bore them. They're only going to read the first page, maybe the second page. And if it's this long info dump, they're done. You never right. get to the judges. You never get to the editor. And newer writers don't understand that. They think that these people and editors are sitting there like Santa Claus. And they have you on their lap like a baby. And they're listening to everything you say. And they're just, they're going to read every word like, like everything is beautiful. And that, this is the fantasy that they have. And, and why they have it, it's their baby. And they can't see it as a product yet. So uh, this is the difficulty. Yeah. The newer you are, the more you have this fantasy. And they don't realize how quick you have to get to the story, how right. quick you have to grab their attention and hook it, and how quick you have to take the story somewhere. Well, so so you and you said you use the term or the phrase driving to the story. And that reminded me of something that I help authors with when it comes to uh, doing their pitch. So oftentimes when they go to pitch their book you know, to an editor or they're even pitching uh, pitching to sell their book at a, at a, at a fair or a show or whatever, uh, sometimes they need the practice because uh, you call it throat clearing as you're driving to the story as you, okay, the story starts when I woke up and then I put on breakfast, and I, right? So instead of all of this stuff, well, where does the interesting thing happen? Maybe 
start there. Is that is that kind of uh, a very similar advice? Yeah, that's that's you actually want to start your story as close to the inciting incident as possible. So figure out where the normal world of your protagonist has the size 16 combat boot drop down and crush their heart's desire, the thing that they most care about. Right. And when you find that spot, that's where your story actually begins. So now all you do is back up just a little bit. You don't start with the wake-up scene and the brushing their teeth and the combing of the hair and the cooking of the breakfast and the feeding of the cat until you finally get to this moment that takes 15 pages for you to talk, finally get there. Uh, it's too late. <laughs> so they've shut the, they've shut the yeah. book. They've shut the story. They're done. So, um, yeah, so you want to start as close to that inciting incident as possible so that we get into the story. Now, this doesn't mean you start at the siding, starting incident. Uh, that's in media ray. And that's like the Hollywood movies that just start out because they, they're yeah. they, they going to have to introduce their characters. But first, they give you this exciting scene of explosions everywhere. But you have no idea who they are, what it's about. But, ooh, it's exciting. Ooh, you've been stimulated. And then they go to their slow scene of two hours before, you know, and here they, yeah. here they are sitting in the kitchen talking. So you get to know who they are and who they're attached to. Okay. I, uh, okay. I love that. Thank you for, thank you for that. Uh, I have to go back to some of the comments. Alyssa said, that was the nicest plug for drafted digital. You're invited back anytime, Wolf. So <laughs> thank you. For well, that. I believe it. So <laughs> it's really nice. Uh, that's a lot of work for writers. And yeah. if somebody can do all that for you, you know, it, it's worth the small bit that they take so that you are actually internationally being exposed. And I don't want you to expose yourself literally, but your writing is being yeah, exposed to a wide audience and that will actually help you make more sales, but most importantly, connect to more readers and readers across yeah. the world, You know, not just the US. Yeah, and this is libraries and retail platforms. And Juanita did say, uh, I just bought the book at the special price. So, well, we know there's, there's maybe nine left. So at that price, so that's... Uh... <laughs> And, right, uh, and, yeah. and and looks like Linda potentially also picked it up. Excellent sales price. Uh, thanks. Um, okay, so there were there were more questions here. I have to scroll back up. So so many great comments here. Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. And my apologies. Um, <laughs> Alyssa says, I believe in splashing romance anywhere you want to. Um, oh, because and I think this is the, the question came from a Woodland lady. Can you put romance in a thriller? Of course. Um, that's human relationships, and I think writers that ignore that and think that just belongs in romance books are making a huge mistake because there's so much dynamic controversy right. anyway in relationships yeah. that if you have this additional element, it's just another thing that makes your protagonist more human. They actually have feelings, love, desire. Uh, it can even be primal. Uh, some <laughs> of the most powerful emotions we have are primal emotions, and that's also very gripping to read about that, you know, especially, you know, yeah. fatal attractions, uh, all <laughs> kinds of things that actually can make exciting thrillers because yeah. of having that romantic interest. Well, so uh, in, in the in the romantic era, uh, Guillaume says, Wolf, do you accept erotic comedy, i.e. funny erotica? I write other genres, but erotic comedy is my main one. So I'm assuming that do you work with authors who write erotic comedy as well? Um, so if it... Uh, and this will this will be hard to say. I tend to focus on the more positive elements of fiction. So um, so I do limit like slasher fiction. I don't do um, okay. erotica. I tend to stay away from uh, just because of 
my personal what I want to do with fiction and, and the right. kind of people that I work with. So yeah. uh, it doesn't mean you can't write whatever you wish. And I, and I wish you all yeah. the best in writing whatever you wish. So I just, for me, yeah. I'm best at these things. So I'm, yeah, of course. I'm best. Yeah. yeah. And if, and if, and if an editor, for example, if, if I have a nonfiction book and my editor's really great at, at working with thrillers and suspense, they may be a great editor, but maybe not necessarily that their forte is that genre or that style of book. Therefore, yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that, that makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah. Well, it, you want to find the best editors are actually writers that have done it. Um, yeah. There's a lot of people that hang out their shingle, but they've never had anything published. So I think yeah. that that's a, a mistake for writers to. Right. It's, it's pretty, it, you really, you want to seek editors that have written in the genre you're writing in and are good at it. And if they can translate that through their teaching, they're going to help you succeed in that genre. So you want yeah. people that are specialized. That's going to help you advance all the faster. You know, if you're if you want to win the Olympics and you're you're a figure skater, you don't go get a slalom gold medalist to teach you how to win in figure skating. So you want to you want to get that gold medalist in figure skating that's now training other teams. So right. that's what you're looking for. Uh, that can be hard to find, but. Uh, but seek that because they actually know how it's done and they'll be able to tell you how to do it because they've done it. I love that. I love that. So there's another element that you talk about in, uh, in how to write a howling good story. And it's, it's something that you call um, the magic sword. Um, So we were talking a little bit about that just prior to the interview. Can you, so what is this magic sword? Okay. So Magic Sword is one of the chapters. It's actually one of my fundamental principles of writing, and nobody teaches it. So Magic Sword is actually an archetype that actually comes from the King Arthur legends, where Excalibur actually had real power that if wielded by someone that's worthy, and they had to prove themselves worthy, they could go forth and slay their adversary. So this is why I call it Magic Sword. Um, Hitchcock had this thing he called a MacGuffin. And he didn't invent the term, but he's the one that popularized the MacGuffin. But Hitchcock's MacGuffin, and was in almost every one of his stories, was much ado about nothing. You would get to the end like the Maltese Falcon, and you would find out it was worthless. It was a fake. And that can be a little bit of a letdown as you go through a story, thinking this thing has this power and it'll change lives. And then you get to the end, you find out, ah, it was much ado about nothing. It was a nothing burger. And where's the beef, you know? Uh, (laughs) But everybody thought it had power. So it actually looks like a magic sword until you get to the end and it's not. So a magic sword is actually something that the hero seeks at the beginning of the story. They realize there's something out there with power. It can be internally that they don't understand about themselves yet, or it can be externally something that they have to go get or put together or knowledge that they have to gain. And they know something about this and they have a rudimentary plan of how to go get it. And often the adversary, the antagonist, is also trying to get that thing because they know it has power too. So this creates tremendous tension in the story. Uh, think about, if we think about Casablanca and the letters of transit in that, the, that those letters of transit were said, this is unrevocable. Whoever has these papers can get out of Casablanca. You could beat the Nazis with this thing. So, and it turned out that it had that power through the whole story. And finally, Rick defeats the Nazis and actually saves his girlfriend, former girlfriend, 
with, and Victor Laszlo, with the letters of translate signed by General de Gaulle, who wasn't actually there at the time. But anyway, um, so that's a magic sword. It has real power. Characters pursue that. And if you watch Casablanca, it's the perfect play of magic sword through the holster. People die trying to get that magic sword, which were those letters of transit. And by the end, Rick beats the Nazis uh, from, their, from their desire to hold this couple there because he obtained those letters of transit. So that's a magic sword. Your character has to, your protagonist has to prove himself worthy through the story right. in order to obtain it. So it makes for a great ending of your story when they're finally able to figure out how to wield it. Right. Well, that uh, that is fantastic. And and you did, and the, the Janessa has a great comment. And you did mention this briefly, uh, uh, this comment earlier about the heart's desire. But Janessa says in your book, along with the magic sword, you also mention heart's desire. I've never heard anyone else talk about it. Could you expand on that? I was just going to say, but could you expand on it, but give us the Reader's Digest version because we are uh, only five minutes from the end of the broadcast. So, so you did, so you talk about magic sword and then the heart's desire uh, and why that's such an important element in, in, in fiction. Yeah. So heart's desire, it's probably the most important principle I teach. Uh, everybody talks about goals in the story. What's the goal of the character, but heart's desire goes deeper. It's the thing that they cherish most. And if you rip that thing that actually is a part of their identity or is the most cherished thing they have, if you rip that from them, Readers, if they like your character, and if you've done a good job of, of setting that up in the very opening, they will follow that character anywhere through hell and back to figure out if they get that or not, if they're going to save that or not. So uh, not without my daughter, um, different different things like that. You, you see these stories where everything depends on them getting their heart's desire, and they're very powerful stories. And I believe that's why so many of my writers have won, not just writers of the future, but uh, many other contests in the Canadian Book Awards, many others. And it's because I taught them Heart's Desire. I actually have a master class all on that. Yeah, but I boiled all these down into the book, How to Write a Howling Good Story. So you can read what people have spent hours trying to learn. Oh, that is uh, that is amazing. Thank you. You know, uh, Lexi popped up this comment that time really flew on this one. And Guillaume uh, agrees. <laughs> yes, you're right, Lexi. Uh, and, and, and I think that's an example of good storytelling. When you think about that in general, yes, this isn't the story, but you are storytelling as you're as you're as you're helping writers tell a story. What I've noticed you've done a lot of is you didn't drive us there. You brought you you started off right in the heart of the moment. Right with the you know building that that atmosphere, a character that we can care for you, and and of course you've used some really beautiful analogies, which is really evidence of a really good storyteller. You use a lot of analogies like that in the book too, right? Yes, thank you. Um, in fact, people are posting. If you go to some of the reviews on the book, uh, people are posting. This didn't feel like a writing book. It felt like. It wasn't dry formula. It was actually, it felt like I was reading a story as you were teaching me about how to, how to write stories. So many people have written that and uh, it's really encouraging to see because to me, that's what'll make it. If I make it fun and if I put my personality into it, I'm going to attract people that like that. And yeah. that's, that's my, that's my following. I'm, I'm, I'm addressing my base by writing <laughs> myself into the book so you'll that's find that that's the case well we saw uh, uh lois says thank you wolf uh for a howling good interview uh and uh charlie says thanks for all that you do for writers uh and 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 um 
Janessa says, how to write a hell of a good story literally has me laughing. Uh, I think we can squeeze in just a real, this is going to be a tough one. Amy asked this great question. How do you make stories about big conflicts or what constitutes a big conflict? That's going to be a big answer, I guess, but let's <laughs> see what we can do with the limited time we have. So what you do, put your character behind the eight ball at the very start of your story. Uh, watch Harry Potter. Look what Rowling did with where she started Harry Potter to where he becomes the chosen one by the end that can actually conquer Lord Voldemort. So start them in the lowest place possible. Uh, go into their, their crushed, soul-crushing problems that they've been dealing with. Expose that. And if you start at a really low position and you put them with a huge problem that's going to keep them from getting their heart's desire or ever get out of that, people will get attracted to that. And if you got this big span of emotion from from nothingness into, you know, conquering and and coming off successfully in what they wanted to seek, you've got a big story. So big ideas, big problems, and characters behind the eight ball, about as low as you can go, and start them from there. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Wolf. And it's no wonder why we're seeing this as a featured Smashwords End of Your Sale title with a whole bunch of really hot selling romance titles. Uh, you'll, you'll see it if you click on the Smashwords store. That's on the main page. You'll also see it in the trendy now, best-selling books, and even books that with great reviews. It's seeing it all over the place. So again, 99 cents if you get it now. I want to thank you, Wolf, so much for a fantastic interview. I want to thank everyone for their great questions and their comments. And uh, I do want to remind folks to uh, check out uh, Drafted Digital. If you've never used us for publishing, uh, you can always uh, start your self-publishing career today at drafteddigital.com. And of course, I highly encourage you to like, share, comment, subscribe, share this video or audio with someone that you think would find great value in what Wolf, uh, Wolf talks about today. Be sure to book, bookmark dddlive.com so you can join us here every week at 1 p.m. Eastern. And of course, yes, um, sign up for an account at draftdigital.com for free. Wolf, thank you again for your great advice today. Thank you for having me and thank you all for coming. I appreciate it. That's it for this week's Self-Publishing Insiders with draft to digital Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with your will-be author friends. And start, build, and grow your own self-publishing career right now at draft2digital.com. <laughs>